We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcast. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Victory cigars are the sweetest cigars of all. I'm a humble man. No reason to be obnoxious. Pittsburgh's a good team, but their time has come and gone. And Buffalo is Pittsburgh 15 years ago. Big, strong, mobile quarterback, tremendous young coach from the defensive side. The Bills are current and real and a Super Bowl contender. The Steelers are a big brand, and they are no longer elite. And you know it if you're in Pittsburgh. To another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Colin Cowherd from his front porch, live on Twitter, Periscope, after we beat the Steelers on Sunday night football. Wow. Yeah, that was a hell of a hell of a game on Sunday. Hell of a game, hell of a turn of public opinion. Well, I think it's, I think at least for our listeners, everybody's more into uh, what you were putting into your body on Sunday night, <laughs> based on our Twitter account. Sunday was a day, folks. Sunday was a day. So was the subsequent fallout. I can't wait to get into it. We had a hell of a week. First of all, thank you to everybody who supported the uh, Wise Guys Pizzeria Toy Drive. It means a lot to me to know that we have some listeners who still give a shit about stuff like that. Chris, toast to those people. I can't help but feel good. We have a packed show tonight, but we got to get into this because otherwise nobody wants to hear a two-hour podcast. Uh, I mean, 
Nobody wants a two-hour podcast. That's kind of what we're known for, but We're going to jump right into things here with our Week 14 recap. The Bills 26 and the Steelers 15, and I've got your stats of the game. Josh Allen 24-43 for 55%. 238, two touchdowns, one pick, and a 77.5 rating. Hey, Chris, that 238 sounds like it's less than 270, so you know what that means. Belly up to the bar, maybe it's Seagram's time. What do you want me to drink? I think you need a Jamaican me happy. You need to. You, you seemed a little down since I walked in the door. I need to see a smile on that face. Well, I am unemployed, so. <laughs> Buck this, up, kid. This might be a uh, what you should have done there. I think I told you after the after the game because I think Allen completed his first. 12 passes in the second half, you should have split stats by half. Because I think it was like 10 to 23 in the first half. And the second half was a way different story. Oh, absolutely. He hit on his first seven. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger completed 21 of 37 for 56%, 187, two touchdowns, two picks, and a 65.9 rating. Hey, is that Seagram's making any happier? Uh, No. (laughs) Lemon, strawberry, watermelon, and guava flavors. Guava? Come on, that's an exotic fruit. Yeah, let me look at the nutritional facts. I mean, that's... Oh, they're not on here. You're an exotic fruit. (laughs) (laughs) The Steelers rushing attack, 2.7 yards per carry. The longest run of the night was 7 yards, 47 total yards for the position group, and just three first downs rushing for the entire game. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, 10 of 14 for 130 yards, one touchdown. 54% of Allen's total passing yards belong to Stephon Diggs. Quarterback Teron Johnson, seven tackles, second on the team, four solo, one interception for a touchdown. Steelers drives, 13 total drives, only four that burned more than two minutes of clock. Only three drives that consisted of more than four plays. On third down, Buffalo was 7-14, good for 50%, one of the best margins anyone's put up against the Steelers this season. Pittsburgh was 1-10. of 10. That's 10%, the lowest opponent conversion percentage for the season for the Buffalo Bills defense. And 15 or more yards passing, Ben Roethlisberger was 1-5 of five with the game's first score to James Washington and the game-sealing interception. Allen was 1-8, of eight, one interception, and the game-winning touchdown to Gabe Davis. (sighs) If we're going to talk about the game day experience, Chris, I'll say this. Sunday night football, I get it. It's fun. But if you can't go tailgate, that kind it's kind of a drag. I kind of wish we were at the stadium. Well, not just that, but Sunday night football is the away team. Like, we had to do it last year, and now we might as well have been the away team considering we couldn't go to the game. Hear me out on this. This sucked. The long haul into the evening means you can't drink during the early games. I mean, I'm not... I Old Drew, back in my early 20s, could probably polish off a 30-pack slowly over the course of a day and milk it into the evening when the game inevitably kicked off. 35-year-old Drew Gear just doesn't have that. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm a broken-down old man over here, Chris. I can't do it. I would think if we actually were at the game and did the whole day tailgating... I wouldn't expect Potter to make it into the stadium. <laughs> oh, Potter. Oh, getting called out on a podcast. God. I mean, Chris, I texted you. I told you. Not, be, not knowing that I'm, I shouldn't start drinking, but there's football on the TV and I'm conflicted. I texted Chris. 
that I felt like Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights when he's getting interviewed and that I didn't know what to do with my hands. Like, I should have a beer in my hand because there's football on the TV. And yet, I know I can't. I yeah. know I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I didn't want to. I think I had one drink during the one and four o'clock games, and I really didn't pay attention to much football on Sunday during the. I had the game on, but I spent most of the time at the computer, kind of teaching myself Photoshop. <laughs> See, that's a, that's an that's a use of your time. See, me, it was a lot of time for game day anxiety to build up. I paced. I paced. I paced around my house watching afternoon football. I realized that I hadn't sit in any one seat in my house for more than ten minutes straight. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, honey, this is anxiety. I now know because the only other time in my life I felt this is when the day that I asked her to marry me. And I remember walking around going, why is my chest kind of tight? Like, why is it hard to breathe? Why you're about can't to I, make a dumb decision. Why can't I focus on anything? What is this feeling? And so I Googled it. And they're like, these are all symptoms of anxiety. And I thought to myself, is this what people walk around with all day? Yeah. This sucks. I don't know who would... <laughs> How do people live like this? And then, of course, the game happens. And when it's over, you're wired. And it's 1 a.m. It's 1 a.m. And you have a six-month-old who doesn't want to go to sleep. So you end up watching Bill's highlights with him in his nursery until you both fall asleep in the recliner. Although I got to say that that last part was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. That was pretty cool. That, that might have been one of the key highlights of the night for me. I don't know. For me, it was you eating spoonfuls of <laughs> Miller's horseradish. Things got wild over at the uh, the, the Rockpile Report establishment uh, on game night. I mean, folks, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a superstitious man, and I do a lot of stupid things in the name of maybe if I just keep doing what I'm doing. Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive constantly derides me about this. There's nothing you can do that affects things that are outside of your scope of your, your sphere of direct sphere of influence. And yet, some of us trick ourselves into believing there is, which is why I wear the same pair of blue underwear every Bills game day. I've worn, su Sunday, I wore the same jeans, the same undershirt, the same jersey, everything I was wearing when we beat San Francisco. Down to the socks. Everything was the same. That's impressive. And you did start off drinking the Molson Ice. I started with Molson Ice. And then we tried to pass those duties off and we kind of went around. And when they weren't working, I started scrambling for more things that I could grab a hold of to keep it to keep it alive. And folks, it got wild. I mean, it. Well, the, the Miller's horseradish, I tweeted out of the gif of it. That happened one play before Teron Johnson had his pick six and took it to the house. In chronological order, here's what I ingested over the course of the game. A Wegman sub. Uh, Mississippi Muds Black and Tan. It's really good. Christmas cookies. Uh, bison dip. And some ruffled potato chips because that's the only acceptable chip in my house. Ruffled. Josh's Jacks. Christmas, well, Christmas cookies. A Molson Ice. And this is where things went to hell in a handbasket. Because that was followed by a Smirnoff Ice. Yep, something you got iced. More old Molson Ice and a Black and Tan. Yep. Eggnog. And Josh's Jacks. Yep. A spoonful of horseradish. Multiple. Multiple. Half a McRib sandwich. Yep. Mark the sea head. <laughs> Three McRibs door dashed. Chips and salsa. Yep. More horseradish. And inevitably another black and tan just to try to force all of it down. 
Yeah. I think I, at one point I actually just took a sub roll and ate the roll to try to give something else to push the rest of what I had just. My wife was convinced I was going to be sick. But here's what she didn't understand. Neither of none of you guys do is that years of being a broke 20 year old and spending your time foraging in the fridge for all manner of questionably aged leftovers have essentially given me the digestive system of a raccoon or a goat. Like, so I, I could probably eat some aluminum foil right now. Well, I was telling my, I was talking to my mom on the phone and I was telling her what you did and she was genuinely concerned for your colon. Most people were, if you go back and check our Twitter timeline. And I'll tell you this, folks, I woke up fine. I felt great. Although I will say that Mark should be blacklisted from DoorDash on game days. Who orders McRibs to another man's house? Mark with a C. (laughs) But in terms of the game itself, it was once again one of the most exciting games, and it was fun. Positive Drew showed up again for the second week in a row. Well, it took a second to get good. That first quarter was... Whoa, that first quarter was rough. And when you're watching the gameplay, it was odd that almost every deficiency that we discussed last week with Joe Kuzma from over at Steel City Underground, every deficiency that we brought to his attention reared its ugly head for Pittsburgh. The lack of rushing, the drops, the Big Ben struggling to throw down the field, being too conservative on offense until it just until it avalanched on them. Was it, was it Deontay Johnson, his drops? He got benched. He only played 49% of the team's snaps. Ryan Lasel spent the run-up to this game trying to tell me what a great wide receiver prospect Deontay Johnson's been. Oh, no, he's an elite talent in the slot. Yeah? Yeah, when he catches the ball. Outside of that, he can ride pine. Yeah, he had a couple of bad drops. I mean, it wasn't a perfect night for Buffalo. Wallace had an up-and-down night as cornerback, too, while the Steelers, once they went up-tempo, were able to march 81 yards down the field for a score to keep them hanging around in the game, which is a trend that I'm sure the Bills' defensive coaches are going to be aware of as we approach the playoffs. And on offense, first of all, we're one of the NFL's most mediocre red zone offenses, and it Shows up again when you get a pass interference call and you get the ball at the goal mouth. And then you can't score. Yeah, that was that was disappointing. And we spent the most of the first half really mired in quicksand. Because our offensive line was struggling to generate push against the defensive line of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I mean, while Darrell Williams did a solid job against Watt, there was a lot of pressure. And Allen was rattled early. And I think more so by his skill players failing to execute around him for a large chunk of the early goings. And I think that Dable really, it was a feeling out process. I mean, I get it every, I, it's, I, I was yelling at the time that he, oh, Dable has no plan. Like most yes. fans were. Or like most weeks for you. But I'm smart enough to know that he had a plan, but it seemed like when it didn't work, he just started poking and prodding around trying to find anything that might jumpstart their approach. It just didn't work. Which, look, their defense was allowed to dictate play to our offense for an entire half of football, which is something that hasn't happened to the Buffalo Bills in a while. When is the last game we started that poorly on offense this season? Oh, I don't know, maybe Tennessee? Yeah, I'd put that right up there with it. This would, This felt like that kind of a game right up until the pick six. And I think that that pick six was not just the catalyst, like the jumping off point for this football team, but it also was just a reminder that, look, even when, I mean, if anything, it should make you feel good knowing that even when things are bad, our team still has a ton of talent. 
That that's the warm and fuzzy I walked away with. I mean, ultimately, they put it together in the second half. They pull away and win the game. And I think there's a few performances tied up in there that are worth really talking about. First of all, the defensive back play from Buffalo was fantastic on Sunday. We retweeted a clip from Brian Baldinger showing the play that should have probably been, been a pick six if Wallace had any kind of catching ability early on in that game, where Trey White literally jams all six foot four, two hundred and thirty eight pounds of rookie wide receiver Chase Claypool to the ground. Yeah, that was I Trey didn't... White's not a big man. No, he's not. He's under two hundred pounds. He's under five. He's under five eleven. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what you got to do to Claypool. And he jams him straight to the ground, and you see Roethlisberger go, well, shit, there was my... There, <laughs> that was quick, your number one. I had a quick pattern, and now I got to turn to the right and fire because the pre- the pass rush is coming. And he throws the ball, and it should have been another pick six. I mean, that play in and of itself was just... It shows how talented these cornerbacks really are. And our safeties did a really good job, not only of giving them different looks, but closing on receivers and limiting yards after the catch. No wide receiver had a pass of more than 20 yards downfield, and their yards after the catch numbers were all in the single digits. And look at the result. I mean, look at the drive statistics, Chris. Their offense was unable to manage any kind of flow because they essentially abandoned the run. What, they ran 17 or 16 times as a team? That's not going to get it done. No. Especially not when you're playing a secondary who specializes in closing and converging and tackling well. I, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. I mean, late in the game, when the Bills' defense relaxed and got a little more passive, they finally mounted a 10-play scoring drive because I think the Bills were kind of sitting back waiting for them to start taking desperation shots downfield. And they didn't even... Even then, they didn't try anything down the field. They just dinked and dunked and we were willing to give them that because it was just eating away at the clock. Fantastic performance by the defense all the way around, but I think the one I'm most impressed with is Teron Johnson. That was probably his best game of the season. Potentially his best game in a Bills uniform. Not just for the touchdown, but the fact that he was a dog versus the run game. Sideline to sideline. Cover one has some great clips of the night Teron Johnson had. And on that pick, he was reading, he knew what the play was. He squatted on that route. He was watching Ben's eyes. He knew it was coming before Ben even knew he was there. That was a great play. How impressed were you with the fact that we played as poorly as we did and still left the first half with the lead? I think that that pick six was the catalyst for what was to come in the second half because we came out with, uh, we had 14 points in the third quarter plus a white linen Steak dinner. We know that's happening. I don't know. Let's see if they can keep it up in the postseason. No. You're shit out of luck here. Let's see you, if it happens. Hey, that's no. the bet is if it happens in the postseason. So we'll see what happens when we get there. But no, Sunday night, third quarter bills coming out of the half, which we're going to talk about in a second, were phenomenal. But I want to talk a little bit more about this suppression by the defense because there's one guy who gets no press amongst Bills fans, and I think it's time we start recognizing him. I mean, when the Steelers got Pouncey back, I assumed that meant good things for Pittsburgh. And think about it. Our pass rush, even though we sent pressure, we didn't didn't get home very often. I mean, they did commit to pressuring the A and B gaps, just like we said they should last week on the podcast. There were a handful of plays where it looked like Ben Roethlisberger had absolutely no pocket. 
Well, and, and that's, we would, and we couldn't get him down. And that's my point. We harassed him enough, though, that he made quick throws. He got rid of the ball on short routes that we were able to tackle well on enforced punts. That, I think, was one of the stories of the game was just how well that front played. But in talking with not just one or two, but five different people, including Rock Sports' uh, Ryan Liesel, everyone, the consensus was that, well, the Steelers can't run the ball, but they're going to figure it out against the Bills. We're not a good rushing defense. This is going to be the game. And I asked, why? What are you basing this off of? It can't be any sort of real analysis. Just And all I got was, I just have that feeling, quote unquote, which I think is BS. I think we've reached a point where we have to stop just using that feeling as a way to justify doubting the abilities of our football team. Considering that you do that all the time. Yeah, and I'm learning. I'm learning the hard way. Yeah. So you can imagine how vindicated I felt watching that game play out as our defensive line just dominated the line of scrimmage whenever Pittsburgh tried to run the football. I'm going to say this name and you people need to start getting to know it. Vernon Butler. Do you want to know why the Bills run defenses looked so much different than it did early on in the season? Vernon Butler is the biggest, strongest man on the defensive line. You notice him whenever they're just walking around on the field. You're like, oh, who's 94? Oh, gee, that guy's huge. Yet for most of the season, he hasn't been playing like it. And a lot of that has to do with what a lot of defensive players talk about or players who are new to a scheme, which is when they talk about having to think before they move and it keeps them from playing fast. It keeps them from playing physical football because if you're the nature of defense is see and react, see and react, see and react. If you're a cornerback, seeing the quarterback and reacting to what you think his eyes are, or his body mechanics are reacting to what the wide receiver is telling you. If it's a linebacker, it's reacting to what the offensive line is doing in real time as they're doing it. You're diagnosing in real time and responding. On the defensive line, you're trying to meet your assignment against the opposing offensive lineman, but if you're still thinking about, okay, well, what is my responsibility on this play? That's harder to do, right? Yeah. So with that in mind, it has, I mean, I remember the Raiders game where I watched him get by, by offensive guards who were smaller than him, just get shoved around. He looked lost. He was a wrecking ball on the line of scrimmage against the Steelers. I came in like a wrecking ball. (laughs) If you ever try to sing during a podcast. (laughs) Sorry, that was like a, you just soft tossed me that. Oh my God, you are tone deaf. Wow. (laughs) I thought the ha- I thought the hair and everything else was like a big enough detriment, but you actually have no tone. You know, too bad we don't have Bruce exclusive on this show. He would have <sighs> he would have hit that with Jesus. key and talent and everything else involved with singing. On almost every significant <laughs> run stop, you'll see ninety four being a monster. I mean, okay, so Kevin Dotson, right? Filer, the offensive left guard, I believe, for the Steelers, he goes out with an injury in the first twenty snaps. He's so he leaves. And he gets replaced by Kevin Dotson, who, if you ask any Steelers fan, will tell you he's actually their best run-blocking offensive guard, but he got benched because they went with a pass-heavy approach. So on the play where Teron Johnson gets hurt, you can go back and watch Butler literally walk Dotson back and pancake him with one arm. He he pancaked a guard one-armed, destroying the play and leading to a one-yard gain for Connor on something that probably should have gotten three or four. On the next possession... Connor gets stopped for a one-yard loss, and it's because he essentially just runs into a pile of his own linemen. 
Because Butler is literally holding DeCastro and Pouncey in place by himself. Those are the Steelers' two most dominant interior offensive linemen, and you have one gigantic man who's just like, nah, no, 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 no. This is like preschool. You're not doing this. It was incredible. And then he does it again for another one-yard loss a few plays later. Think about how good our team has been in the front seven, how guys like we've started to see Tremaine Edmonds flash. You've started to notice how good A.J. Klein is against the run. Yeah, they're all gelling together. Okay. Our linebackers are flashing. We're putting on a clinic against a team that hasn't been able to run the football that well. I mean, you could see it in the tackle numbers from our linebackers. More than half of them were solo tackles. That doesn't happen if our defensive line doesn't find their stride over the last month. And on Sunday night, Butler stood out to me by a country mile for the first time all season. He finally is making that impact that they thought he could have when they signed him as a free agent. And I think that's huge for us because we know that Ed Oliver's good. We know he's going to draw a lot of attention from teams. If Butler can just be an anchor, he doesn't have to be a pass rusher. I mean, I know that was that he had six sacks in his last year at Carolina, and that was how the press. If he can just play like the biggest man on the field more often, this run defense will round into form, and we're going to I mean, it's, it's happening, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. It was, it was the best. It was one of the best performances that stood out to me of any individual defensive player who we don't normally heap praise on. And I just felt like it. everyone has to hear about it. And then I want to take a look at this, Chris. Tell him to call it. You're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Yeah, they're very good. An 11-1 football team. Yeah. You expect that they're going to hold serve. I mean, Josh Allen, Josh Allen's great. Ben Roethlisberger, if you want to make that the matchup in your heads, sure, you can. But I feel like trying to compare a 38-year-old quarterback who clearly, after watching him, he's at the end of his athletic rope. Trying to compare him to a guy like Josh Allen isn't a fair comparison. No? No, well, I do get the comparison of Ben early in his career Yeah. to what Josh is. I get that, but... Sure, but you, now? You can't compare him now. So if you're saying, hey, the matchup of the game was Josh Allen versus Ben Roethlisberger, and Josh Allen... You know, Ben Roethlisberger threw a pick six, and he had this mistake and that mistake, and Josh Allen caught fire in the second half and really propelled our offense to a win... That's not fair, because that, those are the things he should be doing. You could say, hey, Josh Allen was more aggressive, and he threw more accurately down the field when it mattered, like that that absolute bullet of a pass. I want to say he was at the middle, middle of the field, throwing to his left over someone on a rope to Gabe Davis in the corner of the end zone. That's a gorgeous pass. Yeah. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger, I mean, even on that throw, the touchdown pass to James Washington, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger looked good on that throw. I mean, you could tell he was really putting his body into it, and I want to say it was a 19-yard pass. (laughs) He really gave that thing everything he had. And Allen made it look effortless, just finding Gabe Davis in the corner of the end zone. So to compare those two guys as, like, the comparison of the game, I just don't think it's fair. Instead, I want to look at the coaches. And I see, we start on the defensive side of the ball. Frazier versus Butler. I think Frazier wins that. Our defense found ways to take away what the opponent did best, more consistently, had more overall consistency, and they forced turnovers that scored points. Does that make you a more effective unit? 
Yeah. Okay. Dable versus Fickner. <laughs> Brian Dable versus Randy Fickner. Dable wins this one going away. On Dable and Allen, I mean, first of all, the two of them combined together, their offensive plan for the Steelers hit a brick wall in the first half and essentially ground to a halt all the way up until we changed our defensive approach like I talked about. Meanwhile, when you looked at Dable from one drive to the next, he never stopped working to find combination of plays and alignments that might give Allen and the rest of the receivers an edge, as evidenced by his willingness to keep trying to throw it downfield regardless of the pressure they were sending at him. He was being harassed. He was he was really taking a beating in the pocket. And yet at the same time, I, you really have to give credit to what Dable has established here in terms of the offense. I mean, he inserted new formations and made some personnel changes. One thing Cover One pointed out. He switched it up and said, okay, the pressure that the Steelers are playing with right now, they're not getting sacks, but they're getting to Allen. They're affecting his throws. They're affecting his confidence. His confidence to stand in the pocket is being affected. Yeah, did he get hit on, what, in the first quarter? He got hit on the arm. Hit on the arm and it forced a fumble. Or the, the, he fumbled. He got hit on the arm and it forced an interception. He got, uh, what, what was it? There was the interception. Well, there was the catch that should have been an interception that we're going to talk about. <laughs> that, yeah. I mean, that, that shouldn't have been and was. There was a lot of things that went wrong. And... In that, you saw an offensive coordinator who said, okay, what do I have to do to get my guy to look like the guy I'm used to seeing every week? And so as Cover 1 pointed out, they went to using a lot of two tight end sets, something that they didn't run at all early on in the season, just because they said, okay, let's give him some better protection, because I bet you if Allen feels better about this, he's going to start hucking it downfield with a little more accuracy. He's going to be willing to let his mechanics settle before he releases. And sure enough, it worked. He essentially told his quarterback, don't worry, just have faith that we can weather the storm. Let me figure out the play selection and the protection stuff. Just keep doing what you're doing. And it paid off. Huge. Because we came out in halftime and set them on fire. (laughs) And that doesn't happen without Brian Dable's approach. I mean, Pittsburgh spent the year, this whole season, as the number one defense in football, having success versus offenses without having to blitz. Daryl Williams handled T.J. Watt. To the frustration of the guys over at Steel uh, Steel City Underground who called him the invisible man. Held T.J. Watt to just, uh, what, one quarterback pressure, two tackles? I have no idea what his stat line was. I do remember that Darrell Williams was kind of left out there on an island, wasn't given any uh, help with Lee Smith in there to, you know, help with a chip block or anything. Our offensive line did so well that even though there was pressure and it was causing mistakes, it wasn't getting home. And so out of frustration, the defensive coordinator decided to open the second half blitzing to try and finally get Watt and company home. And it blew up in their faces the same way that it has for most teams that try to blitz Josh Allen. I credit Josh for being able to survive so long that it frustrates opposing defensive coordinators into making decisions and changes to their game plan that even in retrospect, I bet if you went and asked Butler now if he'd probably tell you that it wasn't a good idea and he knew it probably wasn't a good idea, but he didn't think he had a choice. He kept thinking, okay, I have to get to Allen. And that was inevitably their undoing. And a lot of the credit for that goes to Brian Dable. And then you get the guys at the top of the totem pole, McDermott and Tomlin. And I think that the win here goes to McDermott. 
Tom, Tomlin's a good coach. I don't think he has a losing season yet. I've got the numbers on that. All of the headlines this past week were about Tomlin. About Tomlin and his no-nonsense approach and the, the whole, well, my team ain't good enough and this ain't good enough and that's JV and all of these things that he said over the last two weeks where they nearly lost to the Ravens and then inevitably lost to the Washington football team. But it was McDermott that fielded the team that despite being a lesser regarded defense and having the quarterback without all the veteran cachet of trust or the, the without having a trophy case full of hardware, <laughs> they won emphatically. They didn't just win. They won convincingly. And in doing so, illustrated the type of closing ability, the killer instinct that how, even last year, how often did we complain about teams not, but this team not closing the door on their opponents, not really putting them in a position where, hey, this game is over 15 minutes before it actually ends. Yeah. And, and, uh, and letting them know that. Yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, down to the point where they get the ball after that last interception and you say to yourself, okay, well, there's still a lot of time. There's still a lot of time. It's the Buffalo Bills. They're, you know... T- that's why my wife's cousin ended up eating a packet of chicken bouillon and garlic last week because yeah. he, he was dumb enough to bet me because <laughs> see bet see people I make I make shame bets I want you to do I don't want your money I want you to do things that are embarrassing to you on a personal level I think he did that for the San Francisco game he had yep. to eat horseradish yep. Sunday Sunday he because he doesn't know when to stop but what I will say is that this team if you bet against them late, They've illustrated now that on a national stage, they have their composure. They're not going to screw up. They aren't the team, the Buffalo Bills iterations that used to hand games back to their opponent. There's no Leotis McKelvin fumbling out of the end zone to turn the tide of a game that you inevitably lose here. I mean, they get that interception, and then they run almost the entire clock. How do you not love that about your football team? Yeah, it sounds like a cream dream. That never happens with us. I mean, that's something your opponent was supposed to have. They were supposed to be the ones with the killer instinct. And then amongst the Steelers fans, there was complaints about our offensive line holding and cheap shotting. And in some cases, just manhandling the Pittsburgh defensive line. And they said, oh, well, this, uh, well, wait a minute. You mean the defensive line touted as one of the AFC's best and one that was clearly and obviously going to just demolish our offense because they were just so intense and so talented and so well coached. They came into Orchard Park and got punched in the mouth and cried about it. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> you hate to see it. And they did it against a team that's 11-1 and one, and up to this point has been considered one of the best in the conference. How do you not look at your coach and say, you know what? That guy. He's one of those guys. He's one of the best young coaches that we have in the league. He's been he's been a great find for Buffalo. Well, speaking of great finds, we have this week's Hero of the Week, and it goes to wide receiver Stephon Diggs. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. Sunday night, I saw something that I haven't seen in a long time, Chris, and that's Josh Allen with the crazy eyes. You know what I'm talking about? That blank, wide-eyed kind of look where his eyes are frantically darting around. It's the face he makes right before he does something wild and outlandish. (laughs) Before he tries to lateral to Dawson Knox. Yeah. That's the face. 
early in the first, right before his first interception, when nothing was working on offense, regardless of what we tried to cobble together, you could see it watching it from home on the broadcast. Allen with the same look on his face that he had in that Houston game. Flummoxed. Our play caller still trying to prod the defense into tipping their hand and giving him some kind of advantage. No real semblance of a plan of attack around him. And the pass rush combined for it. He tried everybody. Gabe Davis let him down. Dawson Knox let him down. The offensive linemen and the rushing attack couldn't bail him out. It was anarchy. Combine that with Pittsburgh's defense making a concerted effort to keep Allen in the pocket, not letting him roll out while applying pressure rather than blitzing the linebackers, knowing how good Allen is when he can roll out or evade pressure. I mean, it's not a surprise we only had three three points on offense in the first half. They came out of the tunnel in the second half, and I don't know what was said in the locker room or what adjustments they discussed, but I saw this before halftime, like as they're getting ready to come out on the field. They're showing the players, kind of milling around, you know how they're all on the sideline, and you watch them. They filter in. They find their seats on the bench. They're talking to position coaches. There was no talking to position coaches or anybody for Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs was prowling the sideline. I mean, Chris, that's the walk of somebody on their way to a fist fight. I, something I've seen a handful of times in my life. A dude walking around with purpose. And that's when the Bills' offense blew the game wide open, immediately following kickoff. And it came on the back of Allen dealing from the pocket because the Steelers were still content to hold him in place and try to blitz him and Stephon Diggs. On the first drive, the first play is a pass to Diggs. He goes on to catch four four passes on that drive. I think it was eight plays, including the 19-yard touchdown. Defense goes out there, does their thing. We get the ball back. Now, leading 16-17 on the second drive, two straight passes for 41 yards puts him in the red zone. Gabe Davis, one play later, goes on to score the game-winning touchdown. <laughs> what? what? I was too young to appreciate the talent of Andre Reid and James Lofton. But I can say with full sincerity that Diggs is the first alpha offensive weapon I've seen in a Bills uniform since I could legally buy beer. Yeah, I would agree with that. There was a play that uh, I think I retweeted it at, uh, over at Rock, at Rock Powell Report on Twitter from Brian Baldinger where he, I forget the corner that was on him, but he like threw him off and the guy slid like 10 yards. <laughs> and it was like just a quick comeback route. Diggs caught it. I guess thinking like, this guy's going to be in an arm's length of me. And he turned around. And he's like, oh, he's 10 yards this way. Well, I'll just go get this first down. We've had guys on this roster with talent before. Lee Evans, Lee Eric Evans, Moulds, Peerless Price. Freddie Jackson, Stevie Johnson, Marshawn Lynch. Those are probably the most... Naaman Roosevelt. <laughs> God, I hate you. Diggs might be the first guy. Now, obviously, the play of our quarterback plays a role in this, but there's a trust level here. I've watched... He's the first guy I've watched with not just the overwhelming talent to take over a game and change the shape of it, but he's got a killer instinct to him. He's got a... If, if I can be frank, he's got an F you, give me the football. Without being a diva about it, 
give me the ball and let me win this football game. Because he's got not just the desire, but he's got the talent to pull it off. And, and think about it. When's the last time we had a playmaker who turned into a legitimate star anytime you are on the biggest stages? Most know. of our guys shrink when you put them in prime time. Yeah. We've gotten used to decades of Bills playmakers who have gotten smaller when the stakes get higher. I, <laughs> Diggs. Diggs has solved this. I mean, Sunday, he made a lot of people feel bad. The defensive backs from the Steelers. The salty-ass Vikings fans who are, who are just waiting for him to flop here in Buffalo. And me, looking back retrospectively at every single wide receiver that the team has had over the last 15 years that I thought was going to be the next star for the Buffalo Bills, because none of them could hold a candle to Stephon Diggs. And I'm incredibly grateful that he wears our jersey on Sundays. And then if I have an honorable mention to throw out here for Hero of the Week... It goes to Mark with a C's wife, Mrs. Uh, Jillian. Last year's Pittsburgh game, because we're a superstitious bunch of jerks, we sparked a tradition known as the defensive sub. Chris, do you want to explain to them what that is? Uh, it's uh, simple. Last year, during our party for the Sunday night Pittsburgh game, anytime somebody was eating a sandwich while we were on defense, we were doing good things. So we just felt like this year we will repeat this process. Trust the process. Every time someone's on defense, someone in the room has to be eating a sandwich. This year, with the addition of the offensive Molson Ices that were being shared by the room, we figured it would make us an unstoppable tandem of good luck, right? Yes. Mark's wife got us rolling with a turkey on wheat, and things were going well in the first half. And as we rotated sub duties, it seemed like the magic had worn off. Because now the, the bills fall behind. Before halftime, she volunteered to pick up subdues again, and sure enough, I eat the spoonful of horseradish, she picks up a sub, boom, pick six. Bills get a lead that they never surrender. She then volunteered to continue for as long as she was physically physically capable of, eating the defensive subs. Chris, I don't know how much deli meat and mayo and bread it's actually safe to consume when you're shorter than 5'4" and less than 135 pounds. She took one for the team. Yeah. <laughs> she took one for the team, akin to my Molson Ice experience. In fact, I almost felt worse for her. I looked over, and at one point, she just looked punch drunk. I'm like, what happened to you? And she goes, there's just so much turkey. <laughs> yeah. She was, a, she was a trooper. It was as if the sodium and carbs were actually causing her physical harm. But she fought all the way to the fourth quarter, and for that, Chris, I think she deserves a cheers. And then the zero of the week, for which you will be drinking another Seagram's, tight end Dawson Knox. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. So this comes from Dawson Knox draft year, which if you've been listening to us long enough, you'll know that our post-draft episode is always with, with Nate Geary of WGR. And you weren't particularly happy with Dawson Knox being drafted and... <laughs> Nate tried to sell you on him, and so then I came up with the idea of a hero and zero bet for Dawson Knox. Anytime he's a hero in a game, you will drink a Seagram's, and anytime he is a zero, I will drink a Seagram's, and that's exactly what happened. And it only took two plays for Dawson Knox to put me in this position because he had the, the interception, 
And then he had, I think, a clear drop with his giant frying pan hands. Dawson Knox might be the most frustrating player on the roster for me. When he's on, like we saw him be versus San Francisco, he's a matchup problem. And when he can get ahead of steam, he can generate some tough yards after the catch through contact the way no player on this roster can. But when he's off, he's almost a total liability. And literally, even if it's not his fault, bad things just happen around him. He's like you, Chris. He's a mush. When he's having a bad night, he turns into a mush, and bad things just find him. Obviously, he did draw the defensive pass interference flag at the goal mouth, which I appreciate. And he made a good catch late in the game, but that doesn't erase the mistakes from the drops to the fumbles to the whiff blocks in the rushing game. Tyler Croft has been made an act. Hey, Dawson, Dawson, it's time to shine. You're the guy. Show me what you got. And there's a decision coming in the next two seasons on him. If he can't figure out how to how to be a quality NFL football player on a more consistent basis and put more games like Monday Night Football on tape than Sunday Night Football, I wouldn't be shocked to see Brandon Bean bring in some actual competition for that starting tight end job sooner rather than later. You can't have a number one tight end. Not if you're trying to run a dynamic offense like we do. Who is a shit magnet? Who bad things just seem to gravitate towards? You can't have that. I, I don't want to hate on the guy, and yet he makes me want to throw things. Chris, your final thoughts. My final thoughts on the game was... <laughs> it's another win. I think I said we were, we were winning. I mean, we're going get to get to it in a second, but I told you that had I won on my parlay, I was going to do... I was going to go to the casino before coming over and go Bills six and a half because I think it was Bills were minus two. I was going to throw a hundred if I had won my parlay on Bills six and a half. I was real confident that we were going to win that game. I'm happy you didn't because you would have mushed us into oblivion. No, we still won. But for me, it was because yeah, you didn't bet on us. The one thing, my one takeaway: you are a reverse King Midas when you go to the casino, and that everything you touch turns I into am, crap. I am the Jeff Fisher of gambling. <laughs> That's the best. You know, the one takeaway I have is the tale of two halves with Josh Allen. He played like ass in the first half, and he balled out in the second half. And it's nice to see that. He doesn't let that first half continue. He's able to make the corrections with Dable and lead us to a victory. And it was amazing. And we're almost about to win the division, which is blows my mind. For me, Chris, it's interesting to me that another year, another Sunday Night Football matchup against Pittsburgh, another game that our defensive effort shines, and another game that essentially ended on a Levi Wallace interception. Do you know? Did you pick up on that? No. Yeah, back to back years. Levi Wallace gets the last, gets essentially the pivotal interception to end the game. I mean, you can use any adjective you want for it. Uncanny, unreal. It's special. And as a fan, it's almost hard to know how to feel. Mike Tomlin is widely regarded as one of the NFL's better coaches, regardless of his postseason success. The man is the first NFL head coach to start his career with no fewer than eight wins in every season. That's 13 straight years of eight wins. That's incredible. Yeah, well, and Pittsburgh is like one of those 
odd franchises that don't ever <clears throat> throw in the towel on their coaches. I, I think I've since I've been alive, they've had three coaches. They're a model of consistency, both in postseason success, right? Well, regular season success, postseason success, general success. They are a winning franchise. But you have Mike Tomlin, regardless, one of the better coaches in football. And then you have Sean McDermott, his former teammate from William & Mary, which they can't help but cram down our throats during every broadcast. Although I will say it was pretty funny seeing the pictures of what they used to look like because both of them look exactly like they do now. Except McDermott doesn't have any hair. Yeah, McDermott went bald as ha- Like, how crazy is that? You're like, wait a minute, that guy used to have hair? Yeah, it might be like a redhead gene. Oh, he's a ginger. Yeah, it's like I wonder if that's like a redhead gene where you just end up losing your hair. But Sean McDermott himself is growing a reputation for success, looking to make the postseason in three of his first four seasons. Something that's rare these days. When you consider how, look at some of the other names that were hired around the time McDermott was. Jack Del Rio in Oakland. Hugh Jackson in Cleveland. Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Sean McVay? Sean McVay's gone to a Super Bowl. He's had some success. There have been guys who did not. Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, who's still scrapping for his first playoff appearance, and it's not a lock that he's going to find it. Anthony Lynn, who's probably going to get fired at the end of this season. I would have fired him at halftime on, on Sunday. There is a lot of stuff going on out there in the coaching community, and yet Sean McDermott's teams, outside of the one year where the Bills said, hey, Let's get out of salary cap hell by biting the bullet for one full season. We're going to take it on the chin, and we're going to go out there with a young quarterback with a lot around him and see if we can win. He's made the playoffs every year. Every year. So to know that in back-to-back years on a national stage, this team came out and answered the bell against not just a conference opponent, but a well-coached, competent opponent. One of the NFL's blue bloods. One of 2020's better teams and a mainstay at the top of the at the top of the AFC. Name me a year that the Steelers haven't been in the conversation of being at the top of the AFC. Uh, last year with Baltimore. Last year, and then when? I don't know. If, yeah, if it any, doesn't. Anytime Big Ben has a an injury that puts him out for a couple of weeks. I mean, he was out for. What, all of last season, except for the first week? And then they're still scrapping it out for a wild card. Yeah. There's Duck well, Hodges almost took the Steelers Duck Hodges to the playoffs. Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Folks, this is what being not just a good football team, but a good franchise feels like. We bested one of the better teams in football in both talent, in execution, and coaching. And it was reflected in the outcome. The Steelers, with their self-imposed conservative vanilla play calling, their inability to run the ball, the mounting injuries, and an inability to coach their way out of any of the adversity that's been thrown their way the last two weeks, that's a quality job from... That underscores a quality job done by the Buffalo Bills from everyone involved, from the guys on the field to the guys in the front office. Ten wins by week 14. It doesn't seem real. It's like something out of a dream. I was six the last time the Bills were 10 and three. You tweeted out a photo of yourself. From second grade. <laughs> the mushroom bowl haircut. Was it a bowl haircut or was that the mushroom? 
It looks like a mushroom bowl haircut. Oh, you looked atrocious. I had that. Oh, I had that haircut all the way through. I think eighth grade. That year when I was six, the Bills went thirteen and three. And looking at what's left in front of us, I don't think it's absurd to think that we could do something similar. Performances like Sundays make you think that with the pieces we have and the gelling of our defense, there might not be a team in the AFC that we'd be wholly overmatched against. Look at at the top of the show. Colin Cowherd has all of a sudden bought us as one of the best teams in football. Greenberg. Mike Greenberg on ESPN says we're one of the teams that we're one of the only teams left that can beat the Chiefs. Yeah. Obviously, they're the mountaintop. We're not far, which is insane to think about. Right? Yeah. And I mean, there may not be a team, Chris, in the AFC that we'd be wholly overmatched against in a playoff scenario. Sure, there's some postseason matchups that might not be ideal. Like Tennessee. Yeah, I'm not sure I would Tennessee see that. plays a very physical brand of football that works very well in the postseason. They run the ball, and they've got playmakers, and they've got a quarterback who doesn't make mistakes. And that's enough to win you games. And what? They, they, they took that formula to the AFC title game last year. Kansas City. We're going to talk about it this week with uh, Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry on our AFC's Roundup show. Your defense is great, but they went up against a great quarterback and a great offense. Even when you take them to the wire, if you're not also elite, they'll find a way, just like the Chiefs did. Sure, there's some matchups I don't like for the Bills, but for the long, first time in a long time, I don't know if there's anything this team can't accomplish with the collection of talent and coaching and management that they have right now. Who's better? Like I said, Tennessee, Kansas City? Sure. Who else? Definitely not the Steelers. Definitely not the Steelers. What, the Cleveland Browns? <laughs> Cleveland Browns are always... I left, I left always, just saying that. They're always a tough matchup. I'm going to go down a list for you real quick. A head coach that's proven that his team can win in quote-unquote moments? Check. Star skill players. Check. A quarterback who is kind of morphed from this wild-armed and erratic but talented rookie. (laughs) You remember how frustrating he was his rookie year and into even last year? Now look at him. He's a composed leader of men, as evidenced by not just his play on Sunday night, but by this speech that he gave the offensive players in the tunnel after... Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster thought it would be funny to go make an Instagram video break dancing on our logo during warm-ups. He took it personally. He was like Michael Jordan in that in that 30 for 30. Yeah. And I took that personally. Yeah. And he showed them that in the second half. And you could double, no, you could triple check that one for me. And then Our best record since 1991. Check. I think we all know where that season ended. And with a little luck, maybe, just maybe, with all these things aligning at the right time, this 2020 season can end up someplace special too. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, 
fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Because right now, an ice-cold Pepsi may just be the best part about watching the Buffalo Bills. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. <sighs> Out of the break. Out of the break and into the AFC playoff picture in week 15. The Bills odds, according to Football Outsiders, our AFC title odds sit at 98.2%. And our overall postseason odds are 996 Chris, I almost feel like every Bills hater out there is like Lloyd Christmas. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be in the playoffs. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I mean, when we talk about rooting interest for week 15, first of all, we wouldn't even be here. We could have clinched. But obviously Cleveland's going to Cleveland. And Chris, if if I can be candid with you, they deserve that L. Okay. Who loses to a quarterback who goes into the two-minute warning with just seven completions and one massive case of mud butt? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand. Who, who loses to that football team? I, also, if I can say this, I mean, Chris, our brand is the pettiest Bills podcast. That we are. I knew that we needed to be rooting for Cleveland. For our own self-interest, right? Yeah. I'd love nothing more than Baltimore to not be in the playoffs. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't root against Baltimore in that game. Not because I like Baltimore, but because I hate Cleveland. I hate Cleveland. 
I hate everything that they stand for, and I hate this season. I mean, think about this, Chris. I can't go see my football team play the best slate of games that they've had in in a decade and a half. This schedule was the reason that I bought season tickets 10 years ago and held on to them through years of mediocrity and bullshit. And now the season where we would love to be in the stands, it finally gets here and I can't go see it. I can't go watch it play out in front of me. But the Cleveland Browns, not only does their governor allow them to go to the games, he actually changes the rules specifically for Monday Night Football and relaxes the curfew that was imposed for one night just so people going to the game didn't run afoul of the law because he wants his constituency to be able to go watch cheer on the Cleveland Browns because you're not... Well, yeah, they've got their best record since 94. I feel like they deserve that. They deserve what happened to them last night. They deserve it because I'm petty. And if I'm going to feel bad, then so are you. I feel like we're even now. Chris, last night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I got up to feed my kid. And as I'm walking half awake to the microwave to go heat up a bottle, I just started laughing. Because I was like, ah, those Cleveland fans, they were so upset. (laughs) They were so sad. Oh, that game's ending was exactly what they deserve, and now I feel like we're even. Now I feel like we're even for them being allowed to go watch their team and me not. Is that? A, do you think that's an adult response to something? Like that? No, it's kind of childish, if you ask me. But childish is your brand. <sighs> if we're talking about what we're rooting for in Week 15, obviously the Saints over the Chiefs, right? Yep. That's that's a given. We want to suppress any victories by the Chiefs that we can get. I, it's a pipe dream for us to think we can make the one seed now. I mean, Miami had them. They were so close, and they couldn't pull it off. I was rooting for Miami because I, th- I knew that the Bills could win on Sunday Night Football. And if we had and they lost, it opens the door to that whole conversation. But since that's gone, now I just want to watch them lose for the sake of frustration. And then you get the Dolphins and the Patriots. And this one is tough for me, too. Because, again, you know what's pragmatic and what's good for the team. and you're, a, But you also have to balance it with the pettiness of who you are as a person. Chris, who, are you, who do you like in that game? What do you want to see happen? Miami or New England? Yeah. Who, what do you want to see? I happen? would like to see New England. I would like to see them win. If if when if them beating Miami and us beating them on Monday night makes them eliminated from the playoffs, that's what I want. I want Buffalo to eliminate New England oh, from the playoffs. See, now I didn't think about that because in my head I was thinking I I know everyone wants to see the Dolphins lose so that we clinch the AFC East. I want that on our own terms. I want to know that we won that. Not that we got it as some consolation prize because somebody else sucked. So I can't, and I, I want the Patriots. For as badly as I want the Bills to win the division, I'd say 70% of that, that's how badly I want the New England Patriots to be eliminated. But you just gave, I'd never even stop to think about that. How delicious would it be to win? Clinch the division one week. Now we have our first Monday Night Football win. Another Sunday Night Football win. Then we'd clinch the division under our own win in Denver. 
and then get to just kick the teeth in. <laughs> well, <laughs> the New it, England Patriots. It's not just that. It's the fact that Buffalo at New England on Monday Night Football. <sighs> so basically the whole football world is watching New England get eliminated from the playoffs. That's what I want. Man, you, Chris, inadvertently, you found a way to be more petty than me. And you know what? I respect the hell out of it. I'll drink to that. Learn from the best. <laughs> yes, you did. You know what you didn't learn how to do is gamble. And that brings us to this segment of Chris's Bad Bets. Here's an idea. Why don't you give me half the money you were going to bet? Then we'll go out back. I'll kick you in the nuts and we'll call it a day. What can I do with $5? I don't know. Buy a bullet and rent a gun. <laughs> Two losses on my uh, parlay this week, which is that's something new for me. It's been a while since I've had two. Uh, I did have Houston over over Chicago, and that was just that was just me going with Deshaun Watson versus Trubisky. It's got to be Watson. I mean, I know. I'm, I'm sure Trubisky has a slightly more to work with than Watson, but just give me the better quarterback. But that wasn't necessarily my bad beat. My bad beat was taking the under in New Orleans and Philadelphia because Philadelphia had that game wrapped up, and then Jalen Hurts fumbles the ball, and New Orleans <laughs> goes down and just gets a meaningless touchdown to take the over. So that was my, my, bad, my bad beat for this week. Ooh, that actually doesn't sound so bad. It really doesn't. Not when you paint it against what else took place. So listener Mike Swenson, all the way from Australia, messaged us out of nowhere and goes, that Hertz fumble just cost me $1,000. $1,000. I had the under. Why the fuck would you run your rookie there? So it screwed you to the tune of what? I think my parlay, I bet 40 bucks to pay out 400 <laughs> $1,000? $1, yeah. $1,000 gone. Whose is worse? Yours or Swenson's? Swenson's. Okay. Now take that and think about all the ball. I Again, when that, whenever the Browns do anything, it's an atrocity, which is why they should be euthanized as a football team if we could ever do that. If we could just put them out of their misery and create a new like create a new franchise from scratch and just retire the Browns because anytime they do anything on national on a national stage it's always terrible I saw uh, I saw a tweet that somebody bet like 20,000 on the Browns plus four and a half folks for those of you who don't know the line on the game was three yeah the, the Cleveland Browns were favored by three points and the Ravens take the lead late in the game. On a field goal. 55-yard Justin Tucker. Right now, everybody who bet the Browns minus three is safe. You're safe. Everything's great. Yeah. And then the safety. Then they, safety. Decide, they decide to run the lateral game, which normally, under normal circumstances, you throw it around about five or six, seven, eight times, and then somebody drops it and it gets picked up by the other team. Or that guy gets ta somebody catches it and inevitably gets tackled before they can get the ball away. Isn't that how ninety nine percent of those things end? Yeah, but neither. But Cleveland didn't have a band to help them out. <laughs> Cleveland decides in one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. The guy who has the ball doesn't realize he's he gets it in the end zone. He picks it up in the end zone, 
and then proceeds to run out of the back of the end zone for a safety. I think he got lateral back into the end zone. And, and that, that two points gasp. screwed everyone. Everyone who bet on the Browns, which is what you get. That's what you get for trusting Cleveland to do anything positive for anyone ever. <laughs> Chris, are they not the biggest losers in this? Probably. Absolutely. Oh, God. See, every week I got to get that pettiness off my chest, and this podcast is a perfect outlet for it. It's a conduit for me to just vent all of that venom that I have welling up inside of me because it makes me a better person away from this. Surprisingly, I'm actually fairly pleasant. All right, that's a lie. That's something of a lie. <laughs> but with that said, this all just it warms my cold black heart. And it's with that that I want to look at this week's Week 15 preview. The Buffalo Bills of the Denver Broncos. I'm not going to waste a ton of your guys' time. The time, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard on Saturday of all days. Saturday. Your girlfriend's going to be able to watch her second game with me. Yeah, and we're, we're hoping for... We're hoping that she gets to see the, the, the real Drew. Because Mark with the C and his wife Jillian... For that Monday night game against the 49ers, let her know that, like, yeah, this isn't, this is like, you're getting a good night of, of Drew. This isn't really what it's like. So I'm hoping Saturday, I'm, I'm actually hoping Saturday. You're hoping it goes poorly? No, I'm hoping that it's slightly the bill. It's, I hope we win the game, but I, I, I kind of hope that for most of the game, it's, as a fan, you're looking at it like, oh, my God, this is a trap game. That way you're swearing more, <laughs> using more. Yeah, just so that my girlfriend can just get the full spectrum of Drew watching a Bills game. Do you remember? Someone tweeted us that we should run a contest. Yeah. A, was, a contest for charity. We should sell raffle tickets, a dollar a piece, and the winner gets to watch a game with us. Yeah, I think that's really picked up a lot over the last couple of weeks based on what I've been tweeting that you've been eating. I even literally tried to start this year off in a positive light because I have a son and I, he doesn't need to see his father acting like a lunatic over football. And yet I couldn't keep it up for a full 18 weeks. Couldn't do it. Couldn't manage it. The place of the game is sports. No, wait, they're bankrupt. Uh, what is it? I think a porn site tried to buy the stadium, and then they got shut down. Something. Look, <laughs> you're a mile high above sea level. Is it Mile High Stadium? Something like that. Okay. That's what you need to know. On the call, Mark Schlereth and somebody else. Adam Amin. Oh, good. Two people who I... Nothing against Adam Amin, but hopefully... hopefully He's not that bad. I've, I've listened to a couple of his calls this season because I'm in, I'm a nerd like that. Then we'll call him collateral damage because I hope a plane falls out of the sky and kills Mark Schlereth in the box. Yeah, we know you. And can then, I not say that on a podcast? I'm sorry. Yeah, you could do that. I think Lindsay Zarniak is going to be on the field for sideline reporting, but we, we all know that you hate Mark Schlereth. God, I hate that guy. He's just such a pompous ass. I'd like to shave half of his stupid mustache off and give well, it to Jeff Fisher. Well, what you're gonna well, what, you said this on Sunday night that with the broadcast being pro Josh Allen, pro Buffalo, that means that Buffalo is going to win the game. So, but it's been but, but but think about it's every time. Yeah. Okay. But Saturday after late afternoon, you're going to have Mark Schlereth who played, I think, a majority of his career in Denver, hosts a Denver radio show, lives in Denver, 
works for Fox, so Fox is like, well, you live in Denver. This is an NFL Network-only game, so we'll just put you as the color analyst. So you know Schlereth will be pro-Denver throughout the entire game. I hope that guy drops dead during the broadcast. And the spread is the Bills are favored by five and a half. Injuries to watch. For Buffalo, it's quarterback Teron Johnson with his concussion and wide receiver John Brown. Now, here's an interesting one, and I want to know what you think about this. The team has to make a decision. He can start practicing, and then they have, like, if they activate him off the IR, if they designate him to return, then, but they haven't done it yet. And that's, I think it's weird. If they designate him to return from IR, he can resume practicing, and then they have 21 days to decide whether or not to actually activate him for games. I would hold off on activating him for a game. I think this is... Well, and that's my question. Is a, is how much time do you want him to have before you need him for a game? I mean, I know I, Bills I, fans everywhere are like, oh my God, what if they don't, blah, 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 what if they don't, what if they do this, what if they do that? What is the harm? I would, we just beat the number one defense in the AFC with Gabe Davis, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs. If the team slow plays this and says, hey, we're going to activate him Week 17, and we're no. going to let him run a handful of routes because I'm sure their starters will play a little bit. No, I would activate him against the Patriots because you often talk about this. Bill Belichick's best thing is to take away your best offensive options. So if Belichick is able to take away Stephon Diggs from Josh Allen, I would want John Brown in that situation because okay. I don't trust... If, if that is a true statement and Diggs is taken away from Belichick in that game, I'm not that confident with Cole Beasley and Gabe Davis as okay. a one and two option. Okay. I need John Brown in that situation. But how good would it be for a, for a John Brown who has literally fought injuries this entire season to get a few more weeks of rest under his belt? Yeah, You could look at it like a Doug Marone with Sammy Watkins. When he was injured that whole preseason, yeah. oh yeah, we got a fifth preseason game. He's got to play. We got to play Watkins. It's that's what I'm talking about. At this point, it's irrelevant if we can. I think if we can handle the Steelers, we should be able to handle Denver without his services. And if that's the case, then you go into a game against New England that doesn't actually mean a ton other than getting your guys some reps. Getting it doesn't. I mean, seating purposes now is what you're talking about. And you can maybe activate him and mix him in for a few snaps, but I want this. I want to see them slow play this. I want the best John Brown we can possibly have on our team come the postseason. Because I remember those forty-point games. I remember those games where we were scoring in the high, in the low thirties. I need that back. I need that back in my life. And that starts with John Brown being healthy. But I don't want to rush him back out there for no reason. There's no reason to panic. We're in the driver's seat. For the first time in forever. And then when you look at the Denver Broncos, the only thing of note for injuries for them that I have is kicker Brandon McManus. Drew Locke? <sighs> Drew Locke. We're going to talk about him in a second. Well, he'll probably get injured during the game. He, There's he, a good he, chance of that. He's, he's oh my God. I, I hate his face. Like, I've never, it's like the movie, it's like the movie Step Brothers. 
when he's trying to explain to Will Ferrell how he just, he's like, I just really want to hit you. I just really want to hit you in the face. Drew Locke has one of those faces. I don't know what it is. Is it the spike blonde hair? Is it the dancing? Is it the, I, I, I don't know, but there's something about you that just makes you punchable. Kicker Brandon McManus. He's on the COVID list, but he's tweeted out that he's going to play. So I, I don't know what to make of that. Either way, he is their most consistent player, which says a lot about their season. And that's where I want to start if we're going to quickly preview this. It's the tale of two teams, early Denver versus late Denver. Every NFL season is a grind, and it's kind of a war of attrition. But Denver really took it on, took it in the teeth early. I mean, they lost wide receiver Cortland Sutton, Von Miller, their high-priced free agent acquisition, Juwan James, and defensive tackle Purcell. Never played a game. Never played a game. Well, Devon Miller got hurt week one and hasn't played since. But those guys were gone before they could even make an impact. And then as the season rolled on, they have a lot of guys coming in and out of the lineup. I mean, their offense, to your point, Drew Locke has missed time. They lost two cornerbacks to ACL tears in the last two weeks. I mean, last week, tight end Noah Fant cost me a fantasy game. Got me bounced in the playoffs alongside Garrett Bowles, their offensive tackle, who literally got the flu halfway through the game and just came out. They were like, ah, you guys are too sick to play. Go back to the locker room. That's unheard of to me. A healthy Denver squad has strung together a few strong performances in a row. I mean, they're, they're not. It, what did Reed Ferguson tell us as we were having dinner with him? Bill's long snapper. He says to us. Was this, is this the uh, the. Talent level in the NFL is literally this much. Yeah, it's the the separation between teams from thirty first to first place really isn't as wide as people want to give it credit for. It's just coaching and consistency. That's the difference between teams that win ten games and teams that win three games. So when you look at Denver, they've put together a few solid games. They took KC to the wire. They they beat Miami with a smothering defensive performance. And they split high-scoring affairs against the, the Chargers and the Falcons. They're an enigma, and I get the whole trap game label. I mean, on offense, they've got a pair of big physical wide receivers on the outside with Jerry Judy and uh, Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick, who was a fantasy star this year. What, I think he had double-digit points every week for the last month? I don't even know Two who months. that is. Of course you don't, because you don't. You don't pay attention to football. Well, I'm still in my fantasy playoffs. I know that much. They're two. They're two wide receivers that can threaten a defense at all three levels. They're not afraid to attack a team downfield off play action. Patrick is physical, and Judy is a smooth route runner, which I think makes him a matchup problem of some sorts for the Bills if they're allowed to throw from clean pockets. They have a rushing attack that has more than 100 yards in all but two of their games this year. I and mean, what, what was it? The, their last two real games with a real starting quarterback, they have 189 and 187 yards, respectively. And they're also painfully imperfect because they don't have a single game without a turnover on offense. And they're just as likely to score less than 20 as they are to put up more than 27, which they've done four times this year. And on defense, the defense might be the lone bright spot for Denver, considering they're nowhere near the postseason. They do well to create pressure. They can make plays in the secondary, but they're clearly not what they were intended to be when they were fully healthy. I mean, they're not opportunistic. They're the 28th in the NFL in turnovers. They're good in the red zone, but they're 24th in scoring defense because they give up a lot of big plays. The pressure is going to be an issue. The Broncos are the third in the NFL in hurry percentage, 
per dropback, and they're fifth in quarterback pressure percentage, despite blitzing in the middle of the league. So they don't blitz, but they're good at creating pressure. That's a problem, right? Sounds like it. Okay. Like Pittsburgh found out. If you blitz, you get in trouble against Buffalo. If you can create pressure without blitzing, you've got a shot at this. I think our offensive line is going to have to be on their horses early. I mean, you credit a lot of that success with to Bradley Chubb and Shelby Harris. <laughs> Bradley Chubb. The guy the Broncos decided that they needed more at defensive end than they needed a quarterback. You remember that draft? The Bills were trying to trade with the Broncos up to their pick to get Josh Allen. And the Broncos said, no, 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 we're not trading. We can't possibly trade out of this pick. And then they went on to draft defensive end or outside linebacker, whatever you want to call him, Bradley Chubb. (laughs) They don't need a a Josh Rosen. They don't need a Lamar Jackson. and They don't need a Josh Allen. Which leads to Drew Locke being selected by this team last year, 2019 draft, in the second round. This kid is the most interesting part of the game for me because he's, he's a polarizing character. On one hand, he still has all the tools and talents that he had when Denver took him in the second round. He's got size. He's big. He's 6'4", 228. He's got a strong arm. He's, his character is good, but he's weird. I mean, you can see him celebrating routine first down passes when the team's down by 20 points. He's dancing on the sideline. Like, what... what I'm sorry. I don't. If I ever saw Josh Allen attempting to do the uh, what do they call it? The, uh, the dance. Nene, the nene. What about when your backup quarterback does it with a jacket and spins it in the air, and then it's all of a sudden the Buffalo Renegade? That's fine, <laughs> but that's not my quarterback. <laughs> that guy can dance all he wants. In fact, he's a pip. If we can call Matt Barkley anything, he's one of the pips for Josh Allen. <laughs> When Josh Allen's out there dealing, he kind of comes in from the sidelines sometimes and goes, just to remind everybody that the Buffalo's awesome. Yeah. Drew Locke is not that. (laughs) And so I don't know what he's doing salsa dancing on the sideline. It's just odd. But I guess that endears him to his teammates because I I, I don't understand 20-year-olds anymore. I'm old now. Oh, But on the other hand, he's got a passing grid over at NFL Next Gen Stats that makes Josh Allen from 2018's rookie season look like a work of art. Chris, I have for you some charts. So you have Drew Locke's passer rating versus the league average against Josh Allen's passer rating versus league average. And I guess this is rookie year. But when you look at the deep passing down the field, it's all it's all red for Locke. He's literally 17, 29 and 37 in all the deep portions of the field. Whereas Allen in his rookie year was at least 66 and 77 down the sidelines. And then it doesn't get any better the closer you get to the line of scrimmage. Chris, there's so much more red on Drew Locke's current passing chart than Josh Allen's from his rookie year. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a quarterback who's figuring out the game of football. And so just like with all the positives, he's also fitting the bill on all the negative traits that he's been tabbed with. This is according to Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network. He said he has some awful lapses in judgment when playing under pressure, and he is woefully bad under pressure. He is now second in the NFL in interceptions right now, as of today, behind Carson Wentz, who's already been benched. 
And then when I when I go over and I look at Mile High Report, the SB Nation website for the Denver Broncos, they have this. So there are 13 quarterbacks who were drafted over the last three seasons and that have thrown more than 100 passes this season. ProFootballReference.com shows how well any quarterback fares when blitzed. It's in their splits decently far down the page. Drew Locke has fared very poorly against the Blitz this year. He has a passer rating of 41.5 and has thrown one touchdown and six interceptions. He is also only completing 47.5% of his throws when he is blitzed. Locke is statistically the worst quarterback in the NFL when blitzed. That according to Joe Mahoney of the Mile High Report. I'll tweet the article outlining his struggles because I don't want to parrot it all to you. But there's a lot of interesting stuff there, especially when kept clean. Drew Locke is the best quarterback of the 2019 draft. If you pressure him or the defense shifts and changes the defensive picture pre-snap into a different coverage, which our safeties do all of the time, show cover one, then drop into a cover two shell or cover three with a robber linebacker, something that Buffalo does with Milano on the field a lot. He has a hell of a time figuring out what he's looking at and reading pressure, which means that even when he's not blitzed, good defensive coordinators have been able to frustrate him into mistakes and poor throws. I think that's the answer. I I think that's it. That's the answer to this game, right? It's just making Drew Locke look like Drew Locke normally looks when he plays a competent defense. Sounds Sounds like a good time. Sounds like a great time. Let's just open up this week's Keys of Victory. I had a bunch of other stuff written, but who gives a shit? Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I don't need anything more powerful than this. I mean, I was going to sit here and talk to you guys about how Melvin Gordon, okay? I'll summarize. Our defensive line has to neutralize second-level blockers. Melvin Gordon, over his last eight games, he's most dangerous coming off tackle rather than up the middle, which makes sense considering how much money they spent at offensive tackle. 11 rushes for five or more yards and one touchdown over the last four games on those runs where he can get to the outside of a defense. If we can lock that down, if our defensive ends can do the heavy lifting that our defensive tackles have been doing recently, our linebackers have illustrated that they can execute. I was going to talk about our safety play. I was going to talk about a lot of things, Chris, but I think this is what it comes down to. Not letting the moment be too big. You're going up against an inferior opponent. This is a moment for this football team and this franchise. It's an opportunity to stake a claim to something that this team hasn't gotten its hands on since before a lot of our current players were even born. Yeah, Reed was born in uh, 94, which he might have been one when we last won the division. And he's one of the elder statesmen of this football team. Yeah. And there's a lot of them who, had, even if they were born, had never put on a football helmet. The last yeah. time the Buffalo Bills won the AFC East. That sort of anticipation can create pressure. And as the saying goes, pressure bursts pipes. And for anybody out there who doesn't think that that's real, go talk to the Patriots offense back in 2008. <laughs> the, the pressure of being 19-0. Go talk to Drew Bledsoe about 2004. Go ask the Cleveland Browns, who had a chance to put their foot down on a division opponent last night, 
and despite having the more talented roster and the more dynamic play caller, choked it away in front of the entire country. Because there's pressure. All these things, Chris, on paper are fine. On paper, you match up really well. It's pressure. Just like, hey, the Steelers. The Steelers were supposed to they were supposed to be the superior team, right? Yeah. And yet they fell apart when it mattered. Things that seem routine become difficult when you apply pressure. And in that way, this is a test of where this team is in its maturity. Where our head coach is and his ability to maintain an edge and not relax after what feels like a massive win while there's still work to be done. Where our quarterback is in maintaining his killer instinct and his desire to to win. Where this franchise is as it flirts with that long, elusive taste of greatness. Show up composed, aggressive, and ready to do what it takes to... Think about all the milestones we've hit under Sean McDermott. We broke the drought. We made the playoffs not once, but twice in three years. This year, he's overseeing one of the most successful teams in the AFC and a team that's held serve against some of the NFC's best. I, 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 I'm at a loss. Show that you can show up composed, aggressive, and ready to do whatever it takes to take yet another step towards illustrating that this regime and the players they've cultivated really are special. You do that, you'll walk away from this game AFC champions. AFC's champions. Who couldn't be thrilled with that? Your prediction, Chris. I just went to our Buffalo Bills pro football reference. This is our sixth Saturday game against Denver. (laughs) Now, I have seen Denver twice before. Both on Saturdays. The... Uh, the year I came back, the 2011 season, we played them on a Saturday, December 24th, the day before Christ's birthday. Tim Tebow, I remember that was. That's, I took yeah, my by little, Christ, I, I do mean Tim Tebow. I took my little brother to that game. It was one of his first Bills games. He was like 19, and we bought it. We bought him beer. Not gonna lie, it's over now. What are you gonna do? What I call the cops? <laughs> I bought him beer, and I took him tailgating with us, and I gave him the real Buffalo Bills tailgate experience that me and my friends had. And then he drove home after the game, and we he, he left the game to go take a nap in the van. <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes back to my parents' house, and I go to meet them for Christmas dinner a little while later because I had to go home and take a nap, shower, put myself together. And I show up, and I walk through the door, and everyone goes, whoa, here's the big man, big man walking through the door. We were a party animal in the house because my brother went, and just innocuously, not knowing that what happens at the tailgate stays at the tailgate, tells everyone in my family on Christmas Eve, he goes, I watched each of those guys drink like a case of beer. So don't tell our family members that. So yeah, sounds about right. This this actually is the first Bills game that I attended. Was Denver Broncos, Buffalo Bills, Saturday, December 12th, 1992. So I'm going to go with that score, 27-17 Buffalo. And oddly enough, they didn't have – Elway didn't play in that game. Tommy Maddox played. <laughs> Tommy Maddox. Yeah. What a throwback. 
God, you know what? Chris, I'll agree with you just on the sake that it's the Christmas season and I don't want you to, you just drank two Seagrams. I don't want you to have to do it again. Let's put it up. By the time we speak again, folks, we will be AFC East champions. That's it. I'm willing to stake my reputation on it. I believe that this team is ready. They're ready to take the next step. We're going to see them do it on Sunday. Thank you all for showing up week in and week out this year. It's been a hell of a ride. This has been a crazy season. Crazy. Because we're winning. When we started this podcast, did you ever think we'd see, actually see a season where we won the division? Yeah. I think we all hoped for it. I think it would eventually happen. (sighs) What, when we were in our 50s? Maybe. This (laughs) could have been like the Red Sox or the World Series. That's it. And instead, we're on the cusp of something awesome. And maybe something even better than that down the road. With that said, thank you everybody for continuing to stick it out with us week in and week out. Two weeks. In fact, I don't even think it's that long, Chris. Next week. Next week, our festivist celebration. Yes, on next Twitter week. at Rockpile Report and Rockpile Report seven one six at gmail.com. Make sure you send us your bills grievances. I know there's not a ton, Chris. Nobody seems to have many complaints about this football team. This might be the shortest festivist celebration ever. I mean, you can extend it to the governor <laughs> if you want to. Oh, I mean, we've got some things to extend to him. Yeah. One of them might be here. It might be right here in the middle of my hand. <laughs> yeah. But with that said, whew, we have a festivist celebration to throw. We want you to tweet us and email us your grievances about the 2020 Buffalo Bills because we don't want to head into the postseason with any any animosity, anything hanging over our heads. Let's cl- clean slate this thing and celebrate the sixth annual Rock Power Report Festivist Celebration. And then go check out this week's AFC East Roundup because I have a message for Bills fans everywhere who feel a certain kind of way about the media. Ah, you know you got to get into it. The media and bandwagon fans. Go check it out in this week's AFC East Roundup. Chris, great podcast, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been the Rock Pile Report. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. All day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. 
MyPatriotSupply.com.